Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Upon Further Review. <laughs> this is Noah Kinsey. And I'm Jonesy. And we are on episode 62, the 1981 classic Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> How many movies have we done with John Williams oh, so many. as the, the main guy? At least score. four. At least. Yeah. Right? Yeah. As always with Spielberg, <laughs> pretty much. Right. Yeah. Um, it's either that or George Lucas. And Lucas one of the yeah. two. So on this podcast, we talk about the films considered the best ever made, and we talk about if we think they still hold up, if they still deserve that title. What are your thoughts for the Raiders of the Lost Ark? Um, I think it still holds up. In my opinion, I watch this thing like a little fucking ten year old boy. <laughs> <laughs> even even more now as an adult because I appreciate it even further now. Um, mm-hmm. I personally, totally music, energy, um, action, all that stuff. Totally still feel that it holds up today. What about you? So it was interesting. The first five no, minutes, you won't. <laughs> no, you, the won't. first five minutes, I'm like, this is when you think of Indiana Jones, uh-huh. this is what you think of that first sequence, mm-hmm. like him going through to get the thing and being chased by the big boulder. I mean, that's like. When you just when you hear Indiana Jones, like everything leading in that whole thing, even a, a young Al Molina there, uh-huh. um, super dirty looking in there. I'm like, is that Doctor Octopus? <laughs> Holy shit! So it was so like that's so iconic, Indiana Jones. Right. Like they, I'm just like, wow, they hit the ball out of the park right in like that opening sequence, and then it starts to lose me little by little. But I have to say, I have to say, how do they lose you? Okay, and I'm going to tell you. So this is part of my own shit. So (laughs) I have an issue, and I had this problem with uh, the first uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. I have this issue where I get bored with movies that I've dubbed the plot is capture the flag. Where, like, the MacGuffin, the good guy has the MacGuffin. Now the antagonist has the MacGuffin. But now the protagonist has it again. And then, like, the back and forth kind of the whole capture the flag thing. For me, I just get tired and I lose interest. Like how many? So by the time they, they actually capture the fucking flag, you're like, woo woo. Uh, like, okay, is, is someone gonna steal it again? Because it's happened multiple times. Uh-huh. Like this thing is like butterfingers. It's very slippery and can right. be taken. That was same thing. Like in Pirates of the Caribbean, how many fucking times did they sh- like sail from one place to another? Right. Like, multiple times. Where I'm how like, time you're gonna lose that boat, bro. Like, am is this am I are we sailing in real time here? Like it's right, starting right. to feel that that's, way. I mean, that did feel that way. I mean, it was like a 96 hour movie. Yeah. So like that's how it felt. So for this, I mean, there's a lot of moments in it that I really appreciate and really liked. But for me, I just I've never I I've enjoyed Indiana Jones fine. And the Lego Indiana Jones games on Xbox are amazing. Uh but I've never been a huge Indiana Jones fan. Like just avid like i don't own them and this one it just as things went on and it you know traded ownership over and over again i just kind of stopped caring or i just felt like we were going from different set pieces so that's personally me (laughs) i'm just like how dare you how fucking dare you i mean the i can get 
there's certain scenes that feel a little bit long or whatever. And some of the things that they do talk about, you know, you, you can kind of lose track of the plot a little bit. But I think Lawrence Kasdan did a killer job just trimming the fat off of this story, in my opinion. And I think the... the Yeah, there was none. It was a very lean... very lean, man. You know, every scene had a point. Every scene Mm. um, needed to be there because if that scene was not there, it wouldn't, in my opinion, wouldn't have made sense. You know, we'd feel like we're missing something here, right? Um, But outside of that, I don't know. I mean, the the plot to me is... The plot, you know, him getting the Holy Grail is okay, fine. Okay, he wants the Holy Grail. What is the not what are the Nazis gonna do with it? But moreover, you don't watch Indiana Jones for him to get to whatever he's getting. You watch Indiana Jones to watch him problem solve. That's what I loved about Indiana Jones. Like the same reason you watch like um uh Robert Downey Jr. in uh, uh home Sherlock Holmes. You know mm. what I mean? Like I don't really care. Uh, by the very end, we already knew who was going to win, mm-hmm. right? The question becomes is how? How are they going to win? And for me, that's always been the the big thing about Indiana Jones is how is he going to get out of this trouble? How is he going to get to the Holy Grail? How is he going to get the upper hand? Because he's smarter than everybody else. But what I love the most about Indiana Jones is that he is smarter than everybody else, um, but he doesn't know it. <laughs> I guess he kind of does, but at the same time, it feels like he's just rolling with the punches. Yeah. You get what I'm saying? Uh-huh. Like he's figuring it out on his toes. It's yeah. not premeditated in my opinion, you know? Um, so he never, he kind of goes in kind of with a plan, but then he <laughs> improvises the rest of it. Yeah. You know, and at the end of the day, that's where the intensity and the excitement of Indiana Jones comes from, in mm-hmm. my opinion. And I, I mean, my last name is Jones. Like when if me and my wife ever have a kid, we are naming our first kid Indiana. Like straight out. For real? <laughs> for real. Which is actually kind of a funny story. When my wife, so my wife and I, we've been together since we were 15, for all you listeners out there. Um, sweet, you know, what do they call them? High school sweethearts. Mm-hmm. And so my wife and her best friend, when we first started dating, said, Oh my God, you're dating Gary Jones. You know, if you guys get married and have a kid, you need to name him or her Indiana. Indiana is a pretty unisex name, I think. And so, little beknownst to me, my wife says, like, yeah, sure, whatever. She's like, you better, if you guys get married, you better promise me that you'll name him Indiana. And in our dumb 15-year-old minds, she's just like, yeah, okay. And the girl goes, spit shake on it. (laughs) So... And you know that's binding by law in 48 states. Exactly. Right. And, you know, (laughs) underneath God, if you will, right? So she did. She spit shook on it. So now, our first kid... Is going to be named Indiana, whether we have one or not. Whether we, ha- if we have one, so um, yeah. And I, like I said, I, I've watched Indiana Jones movies since I was, you know, ten years old. And every single time, it just, it's one of those movies. It's it's a popcorn movie, obviously. Yeah. Right. Like, totally a popcorn movie. And to which end, I'm totally okay with that because it's one of those movies you can come in at it anytime. The music, the scenes, the action, it's fun, it's adventurous, it's whimsical in a way. Um, And by the very end of it, you are cheering and feeling something. Mm. (laughs) Excitement, sadness, angst, whatever it is. (laughs) So for me, that's the reason why I love those movies. I think Steven Spielberg just kills it Mm -hmm. with, with how he structures this story. Emotionally, you know, through the cinematography and John Williams' score. Come on, man. 
Yeah. Did you, uh, there was some of the more subtler instrumental moments that definitely I heard Star Wars. Oh, you Did think you so? hear just I can't remember what the scene was, but there was one where it was just so subtle and very Well, faint I mean that's music, kind of his style. That's kind of his style. It is, like, but you know, like you in other him... stuff, like hasn't I haven't noticed that quite as much as this one definitely. And I don't know if maybe he was like kind of doing a nod like this is Lucas too. Well, he, the thing is is he just so he just got off of Star Wars. Yeah. You know? So I think he's like, well, this was the B-roll that didn't get used for that. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. Like he, I made made a bunch of sketches for this particular movie. (laughs) Here's one idea. Right. Um, No, I think I. I don't think that the the they sounded similar. I think the way that he uses them were similar. Mm. Because every character has a theme. Yeah. This is the one thing that I, I've noticed scores through John Williams' music this way is that, you know, you watch um, uh, Back to the Future or you watch E.T. or you mm. watch Indiana Jones. Every single oh, character. Oh, shit. He did E.T., didn't yeah, he? Yeah. So every single character has their theme. You know, in the moment that like uh, Indy's theme, like I love how he uses, you know, the the trumpets and those types of things to create a sense of anxiety yeah. and the strings. And then he pulls that back and then he's able to use the flutes as like a whimsical type of feel, like a hopeful way. And it's the same theme, you know, just played uh, with different instruments to give you a different tone. So like. Um, you know the the slow <laughs> like we know Indy's about to make a good decision. You know what I mean? And those those same types of cadences I feel transitioned um, from Star Wars, right? Because mm-hmm. they got yeah. uh, you know anytime uh, Darth Vader's theme kind of came over uh, Skywalker, right? That dun, dun. yeah. Right, like those little little moments come in softly. Um, I think he just kind of coined it, (laughs) and Mm. they're very similar in my opinion. Um, But I don't, I didn't hear anything that felt. Hmm. I didn't hear anything that sounded the same structurally. I felt there was things there, though. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh yeah, it it makes perfect sense. Motherfucker. So what's interesting about this, because you're talking, I mean, it is so iconic, and obviously they've made four of these films. A fifth one, they keep, like, threatening or teasing. I don't know, depending on how much you, what you cared about the last one. Either it's a threat or it's a tease. You know what, man? I'm going to tell you right now. Everybody can can say that last one, you know, sucked dick. But you know what? Sometimes a dick needs to be sucked. I enjoyed it. I thought, yeah, I thought, it was, I thought one, it was fine. But I mean, for me going in, I'm like, I mean, the giant I, alien skull was a little funky. Yeah, you know? and pe- like, I are mean, they cross moving? Right? Are they crossing movies right and now? And the the saving his life in a refrigerator was a little like, come on, son. Uh, but yeah. I, I mean, it's I fun. feel like there's escapism, and I feel like it's exactly what it's it is. not. This these movies have never been like ultra realistic. No, you know? dude, this you isn't know, they're funny. Nolan, yeah, like. <laughs> yeah, they're funny. They're they're adventurous. Like you can kind of. Suspend the disbelief for a little mm. while. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I thought. I mean, and honestly, like, where else were they gonna go except for aliens? You know, that was well. Kind that's of what they, they were going the for the entire time. Yeah, you know, the was, Holy Grail was. You know, they can speak to God. Ultimately, the Holy Grail was to speak to aliens. Yeah, you know. So yeah, so um, and I like the throwback to, and I love how this one ends 
where it's like we have the the grail it's taken care of you know we'll study it later but it's under our care to find out there's this huge warehouse full of other potential supernatural artifacts artifacts i love how many times have we seen that though (laughs) in movies right there's always like a but was this maybe one of the first i mean no i guarantee you not because they took a lot of indiana jones from old soaps and stuff Mm. like that from back in the day and even in the 40s uh in this one indiana jones's hat never falls off or comes off of him Uh and that was an homage to all of the the movies from the 40s where that guy's hat would never never come off off, because it's considered poor form for a gentleman to not be wearing a hat right um but uh but i love that and in the fourth one that's basically where they steal the shit you know like Mm -hmm. with What's her name? Uh, Kate Blanchett with her moose and squirrel like accent, uh, which I wanted her to say so bad in it. But they started basically in one of those, you know, or at least they had that scene where they stole the thing in one of those big warehouses. So, I mean, it kind of uh, people are going to hate me because they hated that one. But I thought it was fine for dude, what it was. That's what I'm telling. Like, guys, if you hate that fucking movie, get off your goddamn high horse. OK, yeah, yeah. because it's just fun. Stop hating on everything. But as, I don't understand why. As iconic as this was. So what I found interesting, when George Lucas, whenever one of his films comes out, he goes on vacation, basically the premiere week to avoid like all the hoopla and probably just uh-huh. to not freak out, you know, and not be like so obsessive. So he went to Hawaii when A New Hope opened up um, and Spielberg came on vacation with him. Um, and that's where after... They found out A New Hope was like a smashing success. He relaxed a little bit, and the two of them started talking, and that's where they came up with the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Wow. Um, But even with those two attached and with Star Wars being such a big hit, every studio said no. Why? I don't know. But they finally got Paramount to say okay to it. What? How... How do you make three of the most like iconic movies of all time and then don't let him do what he wants? Yeah, and they had to persuade Paramount to do it. At first really? they said no and they had to I wonder if like, it's because he's such a ball buster please. in contracts. Yeah, you know be- what I'm saying? Which may be because at the time he made a, an unusual deal. The studio agreed to finance the entire film for $18 million. Uh-huh. Um, In exchange, Lucas owns 40% of the film and would collect almost half of the profits after the studio grossed a certain amount. Yeah, um, see. They're like, this guy's fucking us. Yeah, well, what's interesting, Michael Eisner was the was an executive at Paramount at the time. Like, he ended up going to run Disney for, mm. quite, like, kind of had a freaking kung fu death grip on Disney for a while. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but he said, like, he, that was, this was uh, the best script he had ever read. Dude, it's a good fucking script. Have you ever read the script? Mm-mm. It's so good. It's, I mean, Kasdan kills it with this film script, man. Like, um, they uh, so here's the thing they had an original idea. The original it, Steven Spielberg really didn't want to do it at first because Lucas pitched to him that it was going to be three movies and yada yada yada. Steven Spielberg's not really a trilogy guy, no, and so he likes putting going all in on a movie, exactly. He likes and having a complete done, thought and then he's out, you uh-huh. know. And so, but what uh, Lucas told him was like, the movies are already written. So it's basically like doing one long movie. So he signed on having only one of the movies written, <laughs> which I thought was kind of funny. So he ends up getting the script for the first one, sees a couple of the issues, brings in Kasdan to to help do the rewrites Good. and stuff. And then it, he just he just trimmed the shit out of mm. that thing. And just Kasdan's kind of, a just genius. It, yeah. he just he gets it. And it's wonderful. 
But one of the scenes, one my probably my favorite part that's super iconic is when the the dude with the sword, like the oh, huge yeah. guy, yeah, yeah, was doing all the thing and ended up shooting him. Wasn't that because he was like sick or yeah, whatever? Yeah. So like the whole crew except for Spielberg got food poisoning, uh, and he was supposed to use his whip to whip the sword out of his hand, right? But because he was so sick, he's like, "Can I just shoot him?" And Spielberg loved it so much he put it. He's in. like, "Hell yeah!" That's yeah. the that's one of the most iconic scenes yeah. of the entire fucking yeah. movie. And I I love hearing that stuff when it's by accident. Right. And those, like, the, that particular scene is used in other movies today. Mm-hmm. You know, like if you're watching, um, uh, what was it? Uh, I think they, they do it in the Ninja Turtles. You know, you got, or Batman, the first Batman, you got yes. that one Asian guy that's yep. like, ah, yep. ah, yep. like that. And then Batman just like sh- shoots him. Yeah. Takes him down with like his batarang yeah. or some stupid shit like that. You know what I mean? Yep. So yeah, those types of things happen all the time in movies now. This uh, creeped me out because I'm not a big fan of snakes either. But um, when filming the snake scene inside that well of souls, Uh um, first assistant AD, um, well, first AD, I should say, um, David Tomlin, at one point he had a python bite his hand and latched down and wouldn't let go. Oh, Jesus. So uh, he calmly asked someone to grab it by the tail and whip it so that would send a wave through the snake to let go. And uh, it Mm. did. Like a stagehand did it. And whipped, and it like basically released the bite from him. He went to the hospital. Holy crap! He well, was they were fine, and the python right? wasn't injured. Yeah, I don't. Know, but it's a not... python, man. Like that. Eh. Damn, dude. Like, because they have big ass teeth. No. Python. Yeah, the pythons don't have big ass teeth. They have small, jagged teeth. Oh, that is gonna feel so much better. In your hand. <laughs> I don't know. I could take. A it's not big, snake. but it's jagged. Have you ever been it's bitten fine. by a snake before? Yes. Uh, what type of but snake? A little snake. A little baby gardener little snake? A little baby gardener snake. Did you scream like a girl, though? No. Because, oh, I, I mean, it just, it it's like a numb hurt because their their fangs either aren't that big or they're not, that, like, super sharp. Uh-huh. So it's just like a nip. Huh. I've gotten I've bitten. been bitten by two cocker spaniels, and that hurt way worse than just <laughs> a So, um... But yeah, I think <laughs> so. I, I just that I'm not a big fan. I'd be like, can we bring in fake snakes, please? Please, I don't no. want real snakes. No. Uh, and the the last little bit that I thought was interesting was the film got an R rating initially really? because of the head exploding. So they just put like the fire or whatever over the image, so it wasn't so graphic. But that got them the PG rating. How funny is that? Mm-hmm. It's because of the sequel is why the is one of the reasons why the PG-13 was created. Because the part where he sticks his hand in the guy's chest and pulls out the oh, heart. Oh, Num Shabai style? Yeah, that was so disturbing that um, it... that I mean, I'm sure there are other movies as well that kind of like... Like, kind of like, ah, eh, we need to rethink this. But it got the MPAA to be like, I think there needs to be a step between R and PG. Mm. But Indiana Jones, the Temple of Doom, was one of the big... Uh, reasons for that's pretty that. Interesting. That makes sense because I watched that movie and it scared the crap out of me as a kid, but I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> so, what was one? Of, what was your favorite scene? Um, I mean, I think it's just that first one. That's just so iconic. That first opening scene. Yeah, worse. all because I. I mean, I love the Mummy movies, and like uh-huh. I love when you go into like a old old timey booby trapped area. Right. Like I love it. I think that's fun where it's like I highly doubt these primitive people would be like, I'm gonna set up a puzzle to right. not die to get this thing. 
Like, just hide it better. Yeah. <laughs> like, don't create maps where the fucking treasure is. Like, it's not, if you don't want it found, it's easier to just not have like a blueprint to get to it. I know, right? Like, why did you draw this out? Like, okay. nobody made you. <laughs> like, like, you paid somebody to draw that map out. Like, that's way too artistically done. So I just, I find like, it that fun. That rock looks like the rock. And I think, <laughs> those trees look just like this one. Yeah, exactly. Um, But I just, I think it, on like a, a creative side, I think it'd be really fun to come up with those like old timey booby traps for the movies. Right. You know? So I think that's, I like that better than him being chased by the boulder. Um, just because it's like, I just, I think it's way more clever. Yeah. Um, but I mean, even if you go to like Disneyland or Disney world and the Indiana Jones ride, like you get chased by the boulder and it's super fun. Like that scene is in that ride. Dude, that boulder gets me every single time, by the way. It, it gets pretty close. <laughs> every single time that one gets me, dude. Like, how often does it come off the track, guys? Our <laughs> cart's not going that fast. Um, What did you think about um, Miriam? Uh, I, I liked her. Um, And I, you know, after watching the fourth one i rewatched it not too long ago it was on tv so i sat and just watched it because it's entertaining but it kind of gave me i i liked i think i liked her better knowing that they have this sort of long-standing history and this mm-hmm. connection um because she i don't she, she's not in the second one is she no i was gonna say no. or the third no. i think she's only in first and fourth yeah she comes back in the fourth yeah, yeah. uh i thought i was a little i i was a little uh fuzzy or unclear about the motivations with the uh, um the uh india's competitor gold digger basically mm-hmm. or excavator whatever you want to call him because it was like she uh, there were times where she was trapped but yet they were friendly but yet she wanted to get out but uh-huh. yet she hid behind him when the other guys came in but yeah, there's like all these but 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 where it's like well i think he you know want- she wanted to but then she didn't want to well, she knew that he had a soft spot for her. So he right. was like the human shield, but she didn't really want to be a part of it. Right. Well, that's kind of, you know, what I liked the most about her character throughout this movie was, is to me, it felt like one of the very first female characters that was, I mean, her opening movie. I mean, her opening. She can drink dudes under the underneath table. Underneath the table, you know, and that whole sequence to me is one of my favorite sequences of the entire story because you set up a very pretty girl, mm-hmm. right? Um, who who can drink with the rest of them? She's very plucky, right? And yet has a soft spot like a regular woman. Should. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like in all honesty, like she is wifey material. Mm, <laughs> you very know much what I'm so. saying. Um, and I loved seeing that. I mean, it was '81. You mm-hmm. know, you have a very unique heroine for young females at the time. Not only just Indiana Jones, but you get this other girl uh, that didn't take no shit. Yeah, you know what I mean. She punched a dude out and she drank dudes underneath the table. And I loved, I loved seeing a character like that, even that far back. Um, because now it feels like they're playing catch up. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. At least in my opinion, although in the temple of doom, the girl that was in that movie was just annoying as hell. Very to much me. so. You know what I mean? Where I'm just bring Marion back, please. <laughs> All right. You know, don't <laughs> get rid of that one. Um, but yeah, she was, she was a really, really unique character and something that I don't think we've seen very much in some of these movies over the course of this list. Um, and she's such a, 
like the love interest, right? Like, yeah. you know, su- a supporting character, but mm. in such a really wonderful way. Uh, I think what one of the things I appreciate about this movie are just the there are just little fun moments, uh-huh. um, just kind of scattered in there that don't that you know in a good either Marvel movie or like Deadpool where you can have funny little moments that don't completely derail the pacing of the film, right? Like uh, probably my favorite just little almost throwaway thing that I'm so glad they kept in was when he knocks out. The one Nazi guy and his the his uniform is too small for him. Uh huh. Like the little comedy that's in because there. like how many times have we seen movies where someone knocks out a guard and wears their clothes and it's a perfect a perfect fit, fit. you know? <laughs> right, so it's right. just logical where it's like shit. Uh-huh. This person's tinier than I am, <laughs> or even if it was like too big for him, that's more realistic, right? So I love how that was added where he's like trying to get it to connect, mm-hmm. and he and it wouldn't. Yeah, like I love that. I thought that was yeah. There's a lot of little moments like Uh huh. Yeah, and I really appreciate that totally. Because a lot of stuff where because this movie is so plot driven to the Mm -hmm. point where it's like you said, trim the fat. I mean, pretty much everything pushes the plot forward. Everything. So such a good study. So the fact that that they're, but you know, also really good story. Sometimes movies are plot heavy to a fault. Where you're just like, I just didn't care about the characters because everybody was towards the goal. Like mm-hmm. I cared about the goal more than the characters because they never gave me any moments with the characters. So it's nice when you can find a balance or find moments of like character building or just little moments or things that just kind of paint a more rounded picture. Mm-hmm. So I really appreciate that about this movie. Totally. I mean, the other thing to that is the, the sense of adventure in a movie like this is absolutely phenomenal. I mean, if you guys are looking for a movie, if you guys are writing an adventure movie, Indiana Jones is probably the best thing to watch. In and my if you opinion. watch, uh, if you watch it, you'll see where a lot of inspiration for other movies came from. As well, well, you know what, what, when I was watching this, it, I saw a lot of references to the bridge over Rikwai. A lot of references. Um, kind of looking back, I think we talked about this. Is uh, the director uh, John? No, who was the director from Bridge Over River Kwai? You remember? No, I do not. But I'll look it up. Um, the same director was a big um, uh, Spielberg loved. Spielberg loved. That That's guy. right. Yeah, that was um, one of his favorite movies. So for me, it was one of those things that was like. I can kind of see where even Steven Spielberg's references kind of came in. David David Lean. Mm, that's right. Um, that's to to me. It's really nice to see because I grew up. This was eighty one, so I wasn't even born yet. <laughs> right, you were just daddy's little squirt. I wasn't even a squirt yet, no, man. I wasn't even twinkle in his eye. Maybe I don't know. Um, You're just stewing in there. Yeah, just, just <laughs> bubbling in his balls, you know, basically. <laughs> um, to which end, uh, it's nice because, you know, you get born into a point in time, you know, even Steven Spielberg and George Lucas and stuff like that were already behind, you know, Coppola was a little mm. bit behind. Um, and so watching those like Indiana Jones and then seeing the movies that inspired them 
is really fun to watch. So for me, the opening sequence of the Bridge Over River Kwai versus the opening sequence of Indiana Jones, um, the Raiders of the Lost Ark, it feels very um, similar. You know, you can yeah. see a lot of the the cinematography inspiration. and inspiration coming from that stuff. So mm-hmm. it's really neat to watch. Well, I think we did it. I think I so. I don't I really mean, have any other any other thoughts. So basically, we just jerked this movie off. Is ultimately For the what most part. we did. Yeah. You know, um, I mean, we could talk. We could probably sit down and analyze the shit out of this movie. Till the cows come home. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, all in all, I think it's just, it's such a good, fun movie. And it, yeah. we can show it to our kids. You know it's very I mean? timeless. It's very timeless. And I think that's the biggest thing. Does it still hold up? And and I credit a lot of movies where they have a timeless feel. I mean, the, the, um, the music. Like, the music can just make that Dude. timeless. I'm, like, if John Williams didn't do the music for this, would it still have the same impact today? I don't know, man. That music, that motherfucker knows a way with uh, with an orchestra. Yeah, he just can know? make like I mean, everything that he does, it has the sort of regardless of what the fashion is, even mm-hmm. if it's modern for the time, it's, it's just phenomenal. timeless. Yeah. I mean, it's just his music is so beautiful and sweeping and iconic. Mm-hmm. I mean, you think of Jurassic Park, Get you think of, of Star Wars, all that shit, like has this iconic sound that influences, I think, influences the narrative of the sequels. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, so, yeah. So I credit, he's unsung hero in my book. <laughs> he's a very well-paid well, unsung yeah, hero. Yeah, right. <laughs> so he might be a hero. And he's still doing it today. That's <laughs> yeah. the best part, is he's uh, still doing it. You can still go catch a John Williams show at the Hollywood Bowl where he's playing the music from these movies. <sighs> That'd be awesome. Live. Like, that dude, would be amazing. I would suck someone's dick to go see something like or that. Or just pay money. Like, I think you just want to do that and just be like, well, dick? it was because I wanted those tickets. Yeah. It's like, there's Ticketmaster. Because I don't have uh, much money. I, my wife, I wasn't working. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, it's, it'd be a really, really cool experience. Nice. All right, Jonesy? Yes, I don't know. We did. What's making you hard this week? What's making me hard this week? So, kind of back to the score. Um, not with, the movie with Edward Norton right, and uh, Marlon you know, Brando. The um, there's a documentary out called Score, which is basically has Trent Reznor, um, Hans from Zimmer. Nine Inch Nails. Uh huh. And um, Trent That's Reznor, right. he did music Trent, for movies for movies now. Yeah, he basically did a Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, and um, yeah, he's done a handful of uh, of Fincher films. Huh. Really? Um, yeah. Yeah. Did uh, you do Gone Girl? I believe so. Interesting. Yeah, I believe he did. That was a good score, then. Yeah, he's a he's phenomenal. I really enjoy um, what he's doing within that space. But it has you know Hans Zimmer, Trent Reznor, as well as John Williams, and a handful of other. Um, Danny Elfman. Danny Elfman. Yeah, and it's basically a documentary on their process. So they've done this for editors. They've done this for directors. They've done this That's for cool. screenwriters. Um, there's all these documentaries out, um, but this particular one is about just the composers and how they go through their creative problem solving um, and pushing the emotional thread, if you will, of a story. Um, And it's really good. I would recommend you guys seeing it. (laughs) That's awesome. Um, So I don't know when it's going to be out. I caught it over at the Newport beach film festival, which is going on this week, which is really nice. Um, So yeah, keep an eye out for it. It's called score. Very cool. Yeah. 
What about you? For me, uh, is a podcast that I just discovered. It's called What Happened When. Uh. And uh, what that is, it's, uh, I can't think of the main host's name, but the other person that's on it is Tony Schiavone, who he was one of the commentators in WCW back in the day, World Championship Wrestling. So, Who's that guy? The one with the, the chunky one? So he was like the, the I'd say, in the 40s brunette guy. He was more of like the straight man in it. Got you. So there was a about. tiny dude. He was Mike Tanay. Mm-hmm. This was like the main guy. And then there was Bobby the Brain Heenan, which mm-hmm. was like kind of the quote-unquote heel commentator, I guess. Uh-huh. Like the more colorful one. He was like the That's anchor. the power yeah. that guy. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so Tony Schiavone was more like the anchor, like gotcha. kind of the constant. Um and he's on there and he's telling stories. So the first episode was about Goldberg. And the main host of it, I cannot think what the dude's name is, but there's a podcast network that just does wrestling podcasts. That's awesome. And yeah, this is cool. And uh, so he's kind of the host, but he researched. I mean, when the Goldberg one's like over two hours. I'm like, oh, shit. But he does his research and he'll ask Tony. He'll be like, this is what happened because Tony was with him for like the whole run basically of the existence of WCW. Wow. And uh, so he'll like ask him different questions. Like the last one I was listening to was about, there was a terrible pod or a terrible pay-per-view that was when NWO was like really big. And <laughs> they were actually considering at the time because it got so popular. They were wondering if maybe NWO needed to be, have its own show, like its own wrestling promotion. Like, wow. so they have two different shows. So their goal was this pay-per-view where it was like NWO takeover. And it was just this hunk of shit just pay-per-view. Just to test it out. Just to test out to kind of see how it would go. And it was just a clusterfuck, terrible pay-per-view. And oh. so this podcast, they were kind of going over. Like why it was so bad. And all yeah, that. where That's he'd ask like the different matches and things like that. And what Tony would remember either behind the scenes or who booked the certain storyline. Uh, David Metzer, Meltzer was like the 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 end all be all wrestling critic at the time uh-huh. where basically uh the host will quote a lot of his stuff and then have Tony say if he agreed disagreed um and it's just it's really well done what's it called again it's called what happened when that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, it's really good. So I highly recommend that. And it's fun because I grew up. That was when I first started watching wrestling was in the Monday Night Wars when it was uh, WCW versus WWF at the time. Uh, and they were on at the exact same time on Mondays. And it was like neck and like they were at war with each other. Like it was and it's it was very interesting. Um, Who was your favorite wrestler? Uh, probably Rey Mysterio. So he was one of the luchadors. So he he was pretty awesome. I did. I also have an NWO Wolfpack shirt that I still wear to this day at the gym. <laughs> the red and black that had Kevin Ash, Scott Hall, Conan, Sting, when he was kind of in his the crow, the crow phase, yeah, phase. So. Um. Yeah, it's awesome. And wrestling. I was always a Stone Cold Steve Austin fan. See, I wasn't. I like him in in hindsight, but I was a WCW through and through. Like uh-huh. I didn't watch WWF back in the Attitude Era, but I can go back and watch it. And recently, because I also got. I mean, this will be for another episode. I got a book that's phenomenal about the death of WCW. That's uh, so good. Interesting. That'll be probably another one because it's awesome. <laughs> but um, just yeah, it's it's. It's really well done podcast. Um, and wrestling's fun, man. I know, even if it is fake. Yeah, but there's like artistry to it, and yeah. like it's theater, man. It's theater. That's what it's it is. So it's live good. theater. That's what makes yeah. it so much fun. Mm-hmm. And the storylines are so compelling. You don't realize what they are until later, and you're like, 
holy shit. Like, uh-huh. I was invested in that, and it was complete bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I mean, I thought they were real. My wife was telling me, because she used to watch uh, the WWF, you know, with The Undertaker and all uh-huh. that stuff, and... Uh, there was a there's a WrestleMania where the Undertaker quote unquote dies by the very end. She cried. She cried at the very end of that. <laughs> that I wrestling recently match, like, she really he really died because <laughs> I have the WWE Network. Uh-huh. Um, it's one of my channels on the Roku, and I recently watched the last WrestleMania. Oh geez. And it was the Undertaker's last WrestleMania. Like at the oh. end, he took off his hat, his jacket, and kind of placed it in the ring. Uh-huh. Um, and I was texting my buddy, uh, Justin, who I went to college with, who's really into wrestling, and watching The Undertaker, because the last couple of years, he's he pretty much only wrestles WrestleMania because he's uh-huh. like, his body's so broken down, like right. he can't. But this one, I messaged my friend. I said, um, I told him a story. I said, when um, my girlfriend in college, her, her family dog needed to be put down. Like it was miserable. They had to literally, it sat all day. I had to lift it up to take it out to go to the bathroom. But the mom could not bear to put the dog down because she would be so sad. Meanwhile, this dog is like suffering. And the, when I would go over, cause it's not my place. I'm just the boyfriend. The dog would look at me like, help me out, please. man. Like I won't tell, just please. help me out. Just please. And I told my friend, I'm like, I have a feeling like the Undertaker is doing a lot of the same looks on his face. I feel like <laughs> Vince, just let him go to the farm with yeah. all the other happy Undertakers. Like, <laughs> let him go. <laughs> Did they let him go? Yeah, I think so. That I think they so finally long. let him go to that farm where I all feel the like Undertakers. He was like the longest. He was. You thought like thirty years. You know uh-huh. what I mean? Like, because some of them. You know, Sting he re he rebranded himself. Mm. Uh, even The Rock rebranded himself over the years. Well, people uh, hated The H, Rock. Yeah, you know, over mm-hmm. the years, like a lot of them have rebranded themselves over and over and over again. Um, but I feel like The Undertaker was just The Undertaker. He very briefly he did a biker dude persona. I could see that very briefly, but then when that—that's an crashed, easy transition, it, though. Yes, you because know, he kind of is. He's, like, yeah, like you look at him, you're like, he's six nine. Yeah, he is huge. But like he's tattooed on his neck. Like yeah. he looks like a biker dude. He right. probably is a biker dude. He also looks like the Undertaker, which is the greatest yeah. character, in my opinion, one of the greatest characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in in the whole wrestling. Yeah. And when that world. didn't work, then he went right back to doing what he sh- probably should have just stayed doing. Yeah. Which was be the Undertaker exactly, and it works yeah. so because he would come at the best times too. Like mm-hmm. you know, his music would come on right before the end of a match or something like that, and it was eerie shit it was music. Eerie that, yeah. shit, dude. And he had that like you know that white out like his eyes yep. in the back of the room. Yep. And I was like, dude, this guy is really possessed. And I was like, this motherfucker's <laughs> possessed. You know, um, so yeah, awesome. he was also really cool, really cool. But character. I think I think he's done now. I think he's done. Which he needs to be. Like I said, he can barely. Move, yeah, <laughs> yeah, well, but yeah, but anyway, can't do it forever. So that's that. Uh, next week, we are actually staying in the 80s. Oh, god, we are staying with something that Steven Spielberg produced. Oh, and we are doing a movie that has a song considered one of the best movie songs ever. All right, let me guess what this is. Okay, all right, give me one, give me a couple more clues. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think, so uh. It deals with uh, immigration. Mm. I don't Ooh. think it's going to be what you think it is. It deals with immigration uh-huh. in a very uh, uh, digestible way. 
Is it Steven Spielberg produced? produced? Uh, it's Amblin. It's from the 80s. Has one of the most iconic movie songs ever. Oh, man. Uh, it starts off in Russia. I got nothing. And basically, the the family is run out of town to come over to America. You mean to tell me... Because there are... This is Fievel... This is American this Tale? This is an American Tale. Oh, <laughs> hell yeah, dude. I love this movie. This is so good. I got it, though. You I did. That was it. amazing. What is the most iconic movie score? Somewhere out there. Somewhere. Like, that's the like one of the most famous movie songs ever. All right. I like what you're putting down, bro. 1986, An American Tale. All right. Cool. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Awesome. Five <laughs> All right, guys. Five Mouskowitz. All right. Uh, I think we did it. Until next week. Until next week, guys. Thank you very much. Later. We out.